0: $100 million in jury verdicts and settlements for serious injury victims, medical malpractice victims, and surviving family members of wrongful death victims. Trial Lawyers for Justice. This is a firm that does not handle frivolous lawsuits. They go after insurance company money, and they're darn good at it. They don't sell their clients out or settle cheaply. Trial Lawyers for Justice, the firm that goes the distance for you their client they treat their clients the way you would want your own family members taken care of nicholas rowley dominic Pachota, and the other trial lawyers in the firm at trial lawyers for justice dedicated to representing the people and their families in iowa minnesota south dakota wisconsin illinois california wyoming and many other states trial lawyers for justice 100 million dollars in settlements and jury verdicts already in 2016 888-811-0844. Trial Lawyers for Justice.
1: listening to Sports Econ 101, the show where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co-host, Bruce McGowan, longtime sports radio personality. Today's show is going to be interesting because who's going to be our guest in the next segment?
2: Uh, a guy that I've known for a long time, Dr. John Kerner, who works with the Stanford uh, Pediatric Cancer uh, Department, I guess you'd call it. Well, he can give me a little more detail on that. We're going we're gonna to get into that a little bit, but we're really going to get into sports because I was refer to him as Doc. He is a – I think if if he hadn't gotten into medicine, he, he would have
1: gotten into sports writing or maybe medical uh, sports consulting. So we're, okay. we're talk we'll about talk about that. some yeah. sports injuries, Tommy yeah. John surgeries, yeah. you know, all that kind of fun sure. stuff. Sure. All right. At each commercial break, we're going to ask a sports trivia question. Today's theme is just miscellaneous trivia. That'll we'll bounce of, all over the place. We'll bounce all over there the place. Go. Yeah. In fact, what do we got here? Uh, let's see. We've got uh, – uh, a baseball question, we have a, a, a racing, uh, you know, about the horse races. Horse racing, sure. And, uh, Which is still around, believe it or not. I that's mean, right. it's then, still... we got, then we got a, an interesting one for you. Okay. okay. So uh, let's see here. At This segment of Sports Econ 101 is sponsored by Pacific Private Money, still providing mortgage investments that are still currently yielding 7.5% <laughs> secured by Bay Area real estate. And it doesn't get any more conservative than that. you got to check them out at PacificPrivateMoney.com. Uh, Also, uh, who's going to be joining us is Russell Jackman, who uh, was with us last week. We're talking about wrestling. He's uh, quite a sports fan, and I know uh, we're going to ask the good doctor about uh, all kinds of uh, injuries. And uh, Russell, I'm sure, will have some good comments on that, because I'm sure in the wrestling match uh, that he manages, there are lots of injuries, oh, yeah. as we talked about no last question. week. No question. All right. So um, you can listen to Sports Econ 101 on various uh, platforms. and Armed uh, Forces Radio. There you go. The Ron Barr
2: Sports Byline USA Network. Uh, iHeart Radio. Um, and Edward does his own. Uh, you do a, a podcast. Is it a podcast, or is it a, it's a webcast?
1: Yeah, it's a, well. We have it on uh, YouTube and Facebook, and also wow. on the uh, Sports Econ One Hundred and One website. Yeah, he's, so you can uh, check that out. Got us everywhere. Okay, and if you have any questions, <laughs> uh, you can always email Edward at Sports Econ One Hundred and One and we'll get back to you really soon. Okay, don't touch that dial. Sports Econ One Hundred and One. We'll be right back.
3: For those that want to visit San Francisco's legendary Alcatraz Island, planning ahead is a must. As the official website for Alcatraz tours, AlcatrazCruises.com provides the guaranteed lowest prices for Alcatraz tickets, which are now available for purchase up to 90 days in advance. In addition, visitors to Alcatraz will enjoy the added benefit of complimentary access to the current art installation Shortening, Making Irrational Rational, which is available for viewing through February 2017 from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m.
4: daily with the purchase of a regularly priced ticket. Visit Alcatraz
5: Why fight the traffic to Tahoe only to standard long lift lines when you can cruise on up I-5 to Mount Shasta and ski and stay for the price of a Tahoe lift ticket. Weekday packages start at $75 per person per night at Mount Shasta Resort. No traffic, no long lift lines, no watching your back for out-of-control skiers. Magnificent Mount Shasta is the perfect family ski resort. Visit ShastaResort.com or call 530-926-3030 for more details. 530-926-3030 now.
6: What do you do if your child can't hear or speak? Where do you go? Wine Garden Children's Center provides innovative and effective therapy and education services to children with hearing and communication challenges to show that these children can have a voice. Support our programs by attending Tea Off for Our Kids, our benefit golf tournament on Monday, April 17th, hosted at the exclusive Peninsula Golf and Country Club in San Mateo, with lunch, golf, and dinner included. Buy tickets or support today at listenspeaklearn.org.
1: Welcome back to Sports Econ One Hundred and One. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Bruce, who's on the phone
2: now? We got Dr. John Kerner from Stanford. Uh, John, tell us a little bit about your work before we get into the sports angle, because I know you're doing something that's really important, very powerful, and it takes a special kind of a doctor to do this sort of thing. Uh, you know, at Stanford University, which, by the way, is one of the be- has one of the best medical centers in the country, if not the best medical center in the country.
7: So, Bruce, I'll explain. So. Uh, I'm fac- I've been faculty at, at Stanford in pediatrics since 1979. My special area is pediatric gastroenterology, so live, and liver and nutrition. Uh, so that's been my main focus. I pretty much run the nutrition support team for the whole hospital, uh, and I also I'm also the medical director of the children's home pharmacy. So I'm involved with a lot of medications to go out to the children and also intravenous nutrition, which goes out to them. Uh, The the way in part that you know me is because when uh, Mark Gardner's wife came down with a really horrible malignancy and the only way she was gonna survive was a liver transplant. Hmm. I worked with the San Francisco Giants directly with Pat Gallagher, and the two of us put together Organ Donor Awareness Day, which started in 1998 uh, after she had a successful liver transplant. And we've continued it, so it's gone every year. At that year, I I had uh, the doctors from here who actually did the surgery. One of my patients got the other half of the There basically was a split liver, so most of the liver went to Lori Gardner, and then my little patient received the other part of the liver, which was obviously enough for that child to thrive, and that child's still doing well at this date Many years later.
1: Hey Doc, can I ask you a very quick question? This is the only the only reason I'm asking this is because um, I had a business associate who had a kidney transplant many years ago. Okay. We we happen to talk about this, and he says, you know, it's amazing how the kidney and the liver are not that far from each other, you know, geographically. But he said that uh, the kidney transplant was a four-hour operation, and a liver transplant was a sixteen-hour operation. Is that, does that sound right?
7: Well, the the liver transplant surgery is much slower, much less than that now, but I, I don't want to quote the exact time for our guys. I just know that uh, our pediatric liver transplant group, we actually did, our surgeons did like 40 liver transplants in the last year. So it's the highest number mm-hmm. in the country. But i But the thing is, is that I think kidney transplants were doing the best overall and liver has caught up to them. And so both have tremendously good outcomes, long, especially long term.
1: Yeah, this was this was uh, from I remember in 1988. Uh, he needed a, a he needed a kidney transplant because mm-hmm. his kidneys were down to like five percent use on right, each one. Right. And he was getting Whoa. really sick, and when he got the transplant, and he was just about that age where they they do a cutoff, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, they told him, listen, uh, this is just pretty much going to last about 10 years. Mm. And sure enough, right at about 1998, he passed away.
2: Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, I hate to to be, uh, you know, plain about this, but you mentioned Mark Gardner. Mark Gardner, for our listeners that don't remember, pitched for the uh, San Francisco Giants Montreal Expos. And I believe he pitched for another team before that uh, back uh, for about 13, 14 years. He's an assistant uh, coach. With the, I'm uh, an assistant coach. He's a, a pitching coach. Works with Dave Rigetti with the San Francisco Giants. Mark's wife Lori contracted this disease at the age of 33. She lived for six years. Uh, she died. I think she was 30, 39, 30s. 30, anyway, they have two boys. Mark got remarried. It's a sad story, but the 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 positive is that she fought it, and that you guys did something to help her out, and 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 more importantly, raise awareness to this thing. But uh, I
7: think the reality was is that at the time. For that particular type of tumor, I mean, she was, that case was, she was the longest survivor Mm. of that with with that particular um, really horrible cancer that she had. And so, yeah, what I've, what I've done is uh, I worked again. It was, it was great uh, working with the giants and we set this up. And so every year uh, we have people who also have gone through transplant and have survived. So for example, uh, Dr. Escovel, our transplant surgeon, uh, not this last year, but the year before, there were two 22-year-old women that he had operated on when they were like, one was a baby, and one was just a little bit over a year old. Mm. And in that era, nobody survived long-term because it was so difficult to do liver transplant in a child that small. And Escoval is just incredibly competent. And basically both kids had a liver transplant, never had a recover, any problems, no rejection, and they're both fine and growing, and so they both were like ball dudes for the game, and they were there before the season. Mm-hmm. And I bring, out, I bring out my, I usually get like at least four or five families of children who've had liver, kidney, or lung transplant, whatever, and get them up to the ballpark, get their name on the scoreboard, and get gifts for them from the Giants, and everybody's been very gracious about that. So this year will actually be the 20th year.
2: Wow, that's, that's a amazing. great story. You know, I, I do. When,
7: when Bruce says that, so he's going. Well, what are you doing? So the thing is, uh, I've I've had press credentials with the Giants in one form or another since 1982. After uh, I think what rocketed me to fame with them was I wrote an article in in California Living my, magazine. It was called Love, Marriage, and the Giants about getting wooing my wife to be and, and getting her interested in baseball. And and uh, it went over really well, and so it, so basically, I've been for a long time. And then what happened is Duffy Jennings, as uh, you know, was you know the publicity director for the Giants for a long period of time. And in 1989 or 1988, I guess he contacted me. He said, "Look at, we've never had an article about sports medicine, and uh, you know you're the ideal person to write it." So he gave me a deadline because it was all over the holidays. It was kind of crazy, and. Uh, basically I said well I can do it I figured out a way to do it so I I contacted one of the one of my third-year residents in training who was going into sports medicine I can do pretty good interviews and then I said you may need to translate what some of these words are that they're gonna tell me so we it was fantastic basically the focus was on Kevin Mitchell who Mm -hmm. that year uh, the following year after the surgery that he had went on to an MVP season and he'd had a surgery, and and we basically went from the time that a player goes down with an injury. So then, let's say the trainer Mike Latond would go out and uh, and deal with the thing initially, and then they'd be met in the clubhouse by the orthopedist. And it, the the first case that we went over was uh, uh, one of the early one of the players who'd been here a long time ago, and basically showed it was Terry Mulholland, and showed that exactly how they managed this and casted it, and how they worked on rehabilitating him and so forth. And then he went through a bunch of other surgeries, including uh, one uh, in that 1988 season of, of uh, Mike Kruko. Basically, they even with the fancy imaging they had, they couldn't really see. There was some question, and even on an MRI, which is more commonly used now, it was kind of in his early days back then, there was some abnormality. And he actually had fraying of the rotator cuff, which they dealt with, and talked about a bunch of other players. But... Kevin did extremely well after this. The one thing that happens when, and I know Bruce can relate to this, is that when you are into, so we interviewed Mark Latondra, the the trainer. We interviewed uh, the main surgeon as well. And then we, uh, this uh, Dr. Gordy Campbell, who was then at at Palo Alto Clinic, Will Straw, who's the chief internist. And then we also talked to Kevin Mitchell. It was really fun because we caught him at his grandmother's home uh, in San Diego and had an extensive discussion with him, and I've since showed him the article a number of times. I, now when I see him, I get a big bear hug from him. Mm. Anyway... Well, then, well, his
2: nickname, by the way, is Boogie Bear, or was yeah, Boogie exactly Bear. Exactly
7: right. That's right. And we had selected sports medicine terms and so forth for that as well. Wow. So, and this thing ran in, in Giants Magazine for the whole year. There was In that year, there were four issues, and it ran all year, uh, and so that's how I got involved. And then in more modern times... Um
2: it's a great story. We're going to have to take a quick break here, John. I, this is uh, compelling, though, and uh, the unfortunate thing is we're up against the clock here.
1: So can you hang on for a minute? Sure, yeah. of course. Okay, yeah. so we're going to cut to our uh, first uh, commercial break with a trivia question here. The winner of the Kentucky Derby is blanketed with what kind of uh, um, flower? Right, okay. Roses. Right, right Rose? gotcha. Okay, well, I'm, I'm giving you the answer Run to for that. the roses, right. Run for the roses, Okay. okay. What flowers are used to adorn the winners of the Belmont Stakes okay. and the Preakness? Ooh. Okay, that's our trivia question.
2: Yeah, the other, the other two legs of the triple. The other crown. The two legs of the triple crown. Right. See,
1: everyone always thinks it's a run for the roses. I right? should
2: know that too because I covered a couple of those races back in nineteen eighty-one. Well, we'll see if you can. Oh. If you
1: see, we'll see if you can I remember guess. the answer to that. Okay, yeah. so email Edward at sports econ the question. The answer to this question: The winner of the Kentucky Derby is blanketed with roses. What flowers are used to adorn the winners of the Belmont Stakes? And the Preakness. Don't touch that dial. Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back.
3: Rebuild or replace transmission, thirty-two hundred dollars. Anti-lock brake system, thousand dollars. Rebuild or replace engine, twenty-four hundred dollars. Truth is, once your manufacturer's warranty runs out, it's all on you, every last cent. Get protection for covered repairs with a vehicle service contract from Toco Warranty. Unlike other companies, with Toco there's no down payment, and the monthly payments are really affordable. Not sure how long you're keeping your car? At Toco, you can pay as you go. Keep your hard-earned cash, and call Toco Warranty right now at.
1: Welcome back to Sports Econ One Hundred and One. Again, I'm Edward. I am Edward Brown, your host, and Bruce McGowan is my you co-host. I are. am. I am. I still am. You still okay, are. I still am. After
2: three and a half years, we've we've managed to make this thing work. That's right. Know? Yeah, that's yeah. right. It has almost three, four years. Almost four years. Yes, yeah. Wow. Right.
1: You don't look any older.
2: Yeah, uh, man. I look pretty good for a man at eighty-two. You look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you go, "Who is that Who old is guy? That guy?" Yeah, exactly. I don't few, recognize that guy. Few,
1: a few gray hairs, here. Yeah, you know, okay, so here is our. At least tri- I got some hair though. That's, that's, still there. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Here, here is our uh, first trivia question. The winner of the Kentucky Derby is blanketed with roses. What flowers are used to adorn the winners of the Belmont Stakes and the Preakness? You know, I'm two different s- ones.
2: I'm going to say, and I covered, I covered all three legs of the Triple Crown in 1981, but I wasn't into all the little. You know, niceties. I'm going to say, not daisies, but uh, something like carnations. Carnations. Good. For yeah, the Belmont. For the Belmont. And now and the Preakness. The, that one's hard. But the Preakness is, is got to be something. W- what
1: did you first say? What was the first uh, thing you first guessed?
2: I was going to say, I wasn't going to say poppies, but I was going to say. No, know, no. What uh, was
1: it? What, what, before you vo- uh, said carnations. Uh, carnations. So, uh, before that.
2: Uh I can't remember. I can't remember
1: what I, said. <laughs> I can't. What was it? What is it? Okay, so it's yellow daisies. Oh, daisies! Dabbed dab right. with black shoe polish Ooh. to look like black-eyed Susans, the Maryland state flower, which oh, doesn't bloom yeah. until a month after the big How race. How cool is that?
2: <laughs> I should have known it. But you know, the problem was I covered this. This is thirty-six years ago when I was a kid. I was just out of. Out of Seattle, I'd gotten bounced out of Seattle. Got a job with a radio network in New York, and I got sent to cover the Triple Crown of horse racing and little things like that. I got so much into the into the minutia of the of the race and the and the jockey and the owner and the tradition. And I you just forgot all
1: about the flowers. Forgot uh, all about the flowers.
2: Terrible. Jeez, my wife would kill me. Okay, uh, so uh, don't Bruce. forget those flowers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, remind uh, uh, <coughs> the
1: audience who's on the phone with us. Well, we
2: got Dr. John Kerner, who is a great storyteller, and and John. Uh, you 're like me, I you know you uh, I was going to say once you you get going you got uh, so much to talk about let's let 's switch the topic for a second because your story with the, you know your relationship with the Giants and how you got into sports riding and meeting your wife is fascinating to me, but you also have to be interested in sports injuries and Russell here does a lot of promotion and has worked with uh wrestlers who you know naturally are going to get banged up a little bit you know can you uh, go ahead, Russell, you want to ask him a question uh, I ahead.
11: guess I could um. Uh, although I guess for me it would be more self-serving in the sense that I broke my femur <laughs> in, last year in March falling down the steps. Uh, not from anybody body slamming me or, or, or throwing me around the ring. I just was taking out the garbage and fell in the rain. Um, actually, I less wrestling related and more back to baseball because I know that's more your specialty. Um, it seems like... Tommy John surgeries have gone have become almost standard and we're seeing really young pitchers needing Tommy John surgery which I always thought was something that happened over a long period of time. Why do you think we're seeing so many Tommy John surgeries done now early on pitchers?
7: Okay, I've got a great answer for that. You know, and also can I plug a book? Uh, Absolutely. I, that's not my book, but there's this guy Jeff he I'm sorry, Fasson, P-A-S-S-A-N the book is called The Arm, and this is unbelievable. It just came out last year. Uh, several, I mean, I knew about it anyway, but then at that reunion, Jeff Robinson uh, had read the book and some of the other former pitchers have. So I'm going to give you kind of the the uh, distilled version of this. So first of all, the biggest problem, and it it came right from Tommy John himself, is don't pitch year-round. I think when, I, when I've talked to the different coaches and so forth, I mean, I talked to Bud Black, and I – you know, and I talked to the pitching coach for the for the Diamondbacks. I mean, the kids are there. There's a couple of things that are going on. The first is that they they've become they've turned all of this into an industry. So baseball youth, uh, it's all like a for-profit thing. So there's a, there's a company called the Perfect Game, and they have these so- showcase events and tournaments, and parents pay all kinds of money, and these kids are playing all year round, all year round, and they start as early as age eight. Wow. And, and, and the thing is, so to give perspective so you can see why things have probably changed. I mean, so Bud Black, as as uh, Bruce knows, was an excellent pitcher and for a period of time pitched with the Giants. Yeah. Then he's a pitching coach. Then he was a manager for the Padres. Oh, now he's yeah. a manager for the Rockies. I mean, he said that you need time off to let your arm recover. So he, he almost laughed when he was telling me this. When he was – cuz he grew up in Oregon so in you know, in southwest Washington actually and so basically he was strong and he threw competitive pitches but there's only you could only play from like May to July cuz the rest of the time it was raining mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
2: probably and, a good and, thing I, <laughs> he, had,
7: he had time off and then and the same really goes for Mike Butcher who's the was a pitcher with the Angels and then more recently is the pitching coach for the D-backs and he said the same thing and he was in, out of Illinois, and and basically it would be snowing, so you couldn't pitch all year round. But a lot of these other uh, players, like especially if you're down in Texas or in the South, you can pitch all year long. And so what ha- I think the worst thing that's happened is is these uh, the youth leagues and these you know the, the kind of the these special teams that they have that that have just made you know just this competition type playing that is really destroying these kids. So they're throwing. They, I think what what uh, uh, Dr. Bud, what Bud Black said is that basically they're throwing competitive pitches too early yeah. and they're throwing too hard and they, they don't really learn how to pitch and then they get these injuries really early and so, I mean, it's, it's a major thing. So, you know, Tommy John was saying don't pitch year-round. I mean, John Smoltz, who was interviewed right around the time he was giving his Hall of Fame pitch, he says we're asking these little kids to do too much too early and at a yeah. high le- velocity at a young age and then parents have to stop having their kids play year-round baseball, advise them to take a min- minimum of like two to four months off a year, just like, you know, Andrews, who's the, the big surgeon who does a lot of these Tommy John, they should take at least 14 months off. There's been like Two hundred seventy-six patients that have had Tommy John surgery since two thousand. Wow. This is crazy, and yeah, a lot yeah. of the young kids are getting this too as well. Early? That yeah, early? Yeah. Though
2: a young kid getting? I well, mean, it's well, just it, it's it, it's a matter of you go through it. Uh, I mean, these kids' arms aren't developed enough.
1: Well, to, in fact, that's what that's the point I was going to bring is yeah. that I I had heard that some of these uh, really good pitchers never pitched in high school. Right. They it's, that's it's
7: exactly r- right. Yeah. You know, or they you know basically what. A lot of those the ex-pitchers are saying, and Javi Lopez was telling me, too, is that what you, ideally, you, what you want to have your kids do is play multiple sports, because it helps your overall, you know, expertise. Don't be so specialized. You're just doing one thing. And you know, the travel teams, he said, is just what's, you know, it's great because you get scouted. The, you know, you can maybe, you, your dad wants you to be, get a college scholarship and all this. And you play all these tournaments. That's a lot of pitches that you throw, and then you know Mike Butcher was saying, "Look at you know you're not going to these parents need to reinvest." I mean, is it their dream or the kids' dream that they want to be a major yeah. league pitcher? Because Good point. they're starting them too early, yeah. just starting them too early, and I I think it's a combination of of what Bud Black was saying is the competitive pitches that they have to throw in all these tournaments. So they're throwing really hard. They're not you know, they're not finessing, they're not learning all the different ways you can pitch that would be less stressful. Mm. But it's not the number of pitches or this pitch count and stuff like some places are doing. I think the smartest thing was uh, what Dave Rigetti told me was that basically they minimize like um, any kind of, of lifting weights and stuff like that, you know. It, and what he pointed out is that you know you look at the Latin pitchers and they don't come in you know all buffed and stuff. Yeah. They don't need to. They also don't get injured nearly as yeah, much. That's true. In
1: fact, when I was a kid, the, the, all they told our the pitchers. Like I, I didn't pitch back then, but uh, st- I still don't. <laughs> uh, but they said uh, d- just you're not allowed to throw a screwball. Yeah, that was no, a, that no, was the no only. Th- I,
2: I pitched little league ball one year, and I was the star of the team only because I was older than most of the kids. They were ten and nine, and I was eleven and uh my i remember one game I, I won this game but i didn't pitch a great game but my arm was so sore and i remember my mom had to work on my my little skinny noodle arm the <laughs> 11 you know, year old arm with, with with the uh with the rubbing alcohol and it really helped but uh, yeah I, I couldn't agree more with was with so any talk-
7: of these things where you yeah. have to alter your the way your wrist is and yeah. stuff like that i mean Kruko yeah. says like the easy the one that's least hurtful to your arm is just a fastball. When you start throwing these other yeah. things, it's additional torque. Oh,
2: yeah. Teach them how to
1: knuckleball. <laughs> you <know>? uh,
2: Carl <laughs> Carl uh, Hubble, who was yeah. a great Hall of Famer back in the nineteen thirties with the New York Giants, had a, what's called a screwball, mm-hmm. and he would throw it. And years later, you'd look at the guy; and he'd be walking around, and his his left arm was all bent bent around and kind of twisted. And why? Because he'd been throwing that screwball. So that was his. And a left-handed
1: screwball is like a right-handed uh, curveball, oh, right? Man, it's,
2: I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. The interesting thing about Carl Hubble—he became the Giants—and uh, John knows this. Dr. John Kerner, our guest from Stanford, knows this. G- Carl Hubble became the Giants' uh, farm director back in their Absolutely right back in their glory years of the '60s when they had Mays, McCovey, Cepeda, Marichal, and Perry—five Hall of Famers. Oh. Anyway. Wow, good stuff, good stuff. Hey doctor, we got to we got to get going here and move on, but we really appreciate you being on with us today and it's I didn't realize um the depth of your interest in baseball and your expertise uh, until we had you on here today. And we John and I have known each other since 1982 off and on and the, from the, our times in the press box. So this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, man.
7: Listen, thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, right. Thank you. Thanks a lot, doc. Okay. Take care, guys. All right. All
2: right. Talk to you soon. See you at the ballpark. Yeah, John's—he uh, is not out there a lot, but he comes out from time to time. Good, good storyteller, as you can tell.
1: Probably gets a, a good seat every time he comes in. You know, he usually doesn't
2: sit down. He he wanders around and talks to people, which is actually better than sitting down because you get really, true. you get tired sitting. It sounds funny, but you do. You're back no, no, soda. no! I don't, I ain't you drink saying, but, your well, coffee. Nowadays, you they st- even have desks that well, you know, you you stand s- up at desks. You a desk. stare at your computer. You're yeah. half the time you're not even watching what's going on in the game. You're sitting there, you know, fiddling around with your computer. I can't stand seeing these young guys today, and I realize that they have to tweet and text and Facebook, but you got to watch the game. Got oh you yeah, got to watch the game. Yeah. All
1: right. So here's our second trivia question. Name eight baseball greats who share the distinction of having been voted Most Valuable Player three times.
2: You're going to ask me to name eight? You've
1: got to name all eight oh of them. Oh my God. Let, well, let's put it this way. You okay. know all eight okay. players. I know all you right. know you've heard of all, all eight right. players. Yeah. All right and there's yeah. only been what, about 30,000 players eight? in the last uh, couple hundred years? Yeah. Eight? <laughs> got to okay. name all eight of them. Okay. All right. And while Bruce is doing that, we're going to cut to a break. When Jeez. we come back, Bruce is going to give us the answer. Oh. Stay tuned. You're listening to Sports Econ Sports Econ 101. <laughs>
6: What do you do if your child can't hear or speak? Where do you go? Wine Garden Children's Center provides innovative and effective therapy and education services to children with hearing and communication challenges to show that these children can have a voice. Support our programs by attending Tea Off for Our Kids, our benefit golf tournament on Monday, April 17th, hosted at the exclusive Peninsula Golf and Country Club in San Mateo, with lunch, golf, and dinner included. Buy tickets or support today at listenspeaklearn.org.
5: why fight the traffic to tahoe only to stand in long lift lines when you can cruise on up i-5 to mount shasta and ski and stay for the price of a tahoe lift ticket weekday packages start at 75 dollars per person per night at mount shasta resort no traffic no long lift lines no watching your back for out of control skiers magnificent mount shasta is the perfect family ski resort visit mountshastaresort.com or call 530-926-3030 for more details 530-926-3030 now welcome back to sports econ
1: 101 edward brown here along with bruce mcgowan Second trivia question was: Name eight baseball greats who share the distinction of having been voted Most Valuable Player three times.
2: Well, I know that back in the
1: the Start era name I grew up, name in, the, him.
2: All right, the, the era that I grew up in back in the 1960s, there were so many great players that very few were able to win it. Willie Mays only won it twice, I believe.
1: That, yeah, he's not on the list. Yeah,
2: he only won it twice, and he's considered the greatest all-around I player of
1: all
11: time. Would totally, Mickey agree with that. Mantle, yes. I
1: believe, won M- it three times. Mickey Mantle won it three times. Um, Russell, it, do you have any uh, guess? Oh my
11: gosh, guess. Uh, I throw, try Barry Bonds. Right, there you go. Barry Bonds, six, yes. six
2: times, I think. Right?
1: Yeah, it, we have to be at least three, is what okay, we're. But I think gonna, six times, yeah, which is, ridiculous. I believe, the all-time record. I think yeah. Michael Schmidt. Mike Schmidt. Yeah. Very good. He's yeah. on there and from the seventies. And now you oh. got to go. Uh, go go! Now you have to start going back in time. So nice. we're talking about pitchers, maybe? No, uh, no, no pitchers, no pitchers. Because the Cy Young Cy award, Young, yeah, yeah but, but no,
2: the, the Cy Young award didn't come along until I'm trying to remember when it until did come Cy Young out. came. No, so, no. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was. It's it's, it's been a while, around yeah, for a while, but it hasn't been around nearly as long as MVP. I don't think. I'm pretty sure. Did Ustremski get it?
1: Uh, no, 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 no. no. But um, but remember, no one will ever come to your funeral if you don't come to theirs. Oh, Ty Cobb. No, course. come on. Who's, come on. Oh, but, of course. No, 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 not Yogi Ty Cobb. Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. That's
2: right. Yogi Berra. But you're talking, you know, when I said that, when you said that, I thought Ty Cobb had three people from baseball show up at his funeral.
1: Oh, no, no. I was thinking about, you know, But, it, but, but when I, was, Ty... I, was, I was trying to be funny and how Yogi Berra is yeah. funny about. I don't know.
2: think, ma- they had an MVP award when Ty Cobb played. No. They didn't. Okay, so
1: here are the other ones. Jimmy Fox. He uh, wanted, that, was he it, that was in the 30s. That was in the 30s. Joe DiMaggio. In the 40s. Stan Musial. In the 40s and 50s. And Roy Campanella. Yeah, Roy Campanella was
2: only around for about 10 years, but my, what a great player. Greatest catcher in baseball at the time.
1: Oh, yeah. And then and he had that car accident, right? Yeah, he right before, before
2: the team moved to Los Angeles, he was paralyzed, and they used to bring him out at the L.A. Coliseum and Dodger Stadium. He worked for the team for years and uh, lived to be fairly, uh, you know, he was well into his 70s. This was a terrible accident that paralyzed him from the waist down, and he was only about... 30 35 36 Ugh, at the time. He terrible. was he was probably going to play a few more years yeah. with with the new Los Angeles Dodgers yeah. after leaving Brooklyn. But he didn't. Jackie Robinson didn't make the trip either. He he quit baseball after 57. So it's kind of interesting that the two pioneers of that team, Robinson and Campanella never wore Dodger blue in Los Angeles. How about that? And
1: he only played for 10 years. Jackie
2: was. Jackie, well, you got to remember, Jackie was oh, also was older, about uh, twenty-seven or twenty-eight when he oh, when he they started, finally yeah, allowed him in. That's right. Yeah, it's a. It's you know I don't want to get off in a tangent about this, but it just I still get mad when I think about my dad always used to talk about oh baseball was great in the thirties. No, it wasn't because you did you excluded a whole
1: segment of the population. And however, could, however, I will point this out because I, we've mentioned this before in the show. If you didn't have the Negro leagues, right. A lot of those players would never be recognized. Would, yeah, but y- y- no, no, because yeah. there's only so many teams that could exist in right. in, in the. But in, baseball would have been so much better. It's just well, a that's lo- true. You would have had the better play, like Josh yeah. Gibson and those and guys. And even up and
2: until into, the yeah. 19, the, baseball wasn't really truly integrated until the 70s. It yeah. really wasn't. I mean, the San Francisco Giants in the early 60s were anomaly. They had Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, yeah. Juan Marichal, the Alou brothers. How many teams had eight or nine black players? Oh they no, had, you
1: know, wasn't it honor? Boston Red Sox? I think were the last ones. Boston to... Red Sox did not have a black player a until
2: s- nineteen fifty nine when Pumpsy Green, who Pump's comes Green from here. our area here in the oh, San Francisco really? area no. from Oakland, yeah, and he passed away a few years ago. He was a you know average player, but that yeah, Boston was terribly racist, and I know the people
1: uh, who are listening are in New England don't like hearing that, but that's part of our heritage, unfortunately. It's it's funny because you think about them being you know in the north compared to the south, well, you know, yeah, but no, interesting.
2: You talk to anybody who grew up in Boston, they'll tell you that the the beauty of Boston is is the separation, is the distinctive nature of the neighborhoods. They're all so old and distinctive.
1: But the bad part of it, I mean, like the Italian, yeah. Russian, but the, but the Russian, bad
2: part yeah. of it is they, you know, they did not like a lot of those working class people did not treat
1: African Americans, black people, very well, or probably well, white people who were not in their class. Yeah, so that that's a perfect segue. That's, that's segway, a perfect
11: segue into uh, Draymond Green. Yes. And his most recent uh quotes that he had over
2: what 's going on with uh, dolan you 're talking uh, when well, you mentioned Dolan, a lot of our listeners don 't know who dolan is that 's the owner of the New York knicks James Dolan. Who I'm going to say this right on the air, and I'm sorry if, if if it gets back to him, he's a lunkhead. He's a nitwit. A lunkhead. He should not be owning a <laughs> your team from the garden. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know I lunkhead. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't want to go watch that team. He has been a, at the. He's the owner of the New York Knicks. The Knicks have been terrible since he's owned the team. He's the he's the Donald Sterling of the East Coast. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> For those and who he don't got remember, in. A, he
1: owned the Clippers. Yeah, and,
2: and and Charles. Tell us the story, Russell, because Charles Oakley. Played for Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls, but he also spent 10 years with the New York Knicks. He's a kind of a hyperactive, sometimes over the top guy, a little bit too proud sometimes and getting in people's faces. But I guess he and Dolan got into a huge argument, and after that. What was
1: it about?
11: Dolan made some – what was the comment he made to him? See, that's a good question. I don't really know exactly what Dolan said to him. Something along the lines of, like, you don't – Charles Oakley didn't want to have to pay for a ticket Mm. to go see the game, and that was something that, you know, he paid for it, and then he wanted to walk down into an area that was – uh, "Quote unquote off limits." Yeah, but this guy know. played for the next for ten years, that, and that yeah. was Oakley's thing. Is that yeah. I'm I'm Charles Oakley. You can't tell me not to gotcha. wa- any wander anywhere I want to go in the garden. And he's not technically correct there. Obviously, there the, you, you do need passes and stuff sure. like that. But, sure, you do. But I've I actually uh, covered the Sacramento Kings as a sports broadcaster, uh, as a journalist um, for about. Uh, four years in Sacramento, and, um, geez, my little uh, press pass got me just about everywhere. And nobody seemed to really care where I was going one way or or the other. So I can't understand why Oakley suddenly has to watch himself and not be welcome anywhere in the car. Because James
2: Dolan is an idiot, plain and simple. (laughs) He is. I mean, you talk to anybody who covers the NBA, and they'll tell you this guy – doesn't know what he's doing. He's a nitwit. Well, he's wasn't a Oakley goofball. one of those guys well, who 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 ran through and, all of his money? I no, he's not one of those guys who ran through no, all his money. But okay, he's he's, he's kind of a he's got a big ego he, and, and he's he a fighter he, on the court. I remember he, he, was, he was a, a combative he's, guy. He's combative, got a huge yeah. ego. But he's proud, and I guess uh, Dolan or some one of Dolan's minions told these security guards to get him out of there, and they started to, uh, according to this is Oakley, started to manhandle him. And then he, I guess, went after them and attacked them. And, you know, Charles oakley's about, what, 6'8", about 250 pounds? And
1: the way he should have handled it is, you know, if he's being asked to leave, he don't just shrug, you know, throw your well, weight, you know, weight around. You the know, the you problem just, is you're – That's pro- not Oakley. Yeah, that's no, not
2: Oakley. He's a proud true. athlete and probably too over the top. But, uh, you know, he – Oakley it's not a, it's it's a, it's a two-way street here but James Dolan is the owner and the owner's got to you know you got to honor your even if you don't like the guy he played for your team for 10 years yeah you weren't the owner at the time but guess what fans in New York remember this guy they don't know who the heck you are Well, That's they do true. now yeah. <laughs> yet yet
11: i i'm not in agreement with Draymond Green saying that that Dolan has a slave owner mentality um over someone like Oakley and this this particular dynamic of him... It wasn't a black-white issue, was no, it? No, I don't no, really no, think it, it was wasn't. a racial thing. I think it's more that, that Dolan doesn't like Oakley and Oakley doesn't like Dolan. It's two guys that are high-strung. But it's something that's being brought into that sort of thing because we look back at, say, like Larry Johnson a number of years ago oh, yeah, yeah, saying yeah. that you know we're just a bunch of uppity slaves. <laughs> that when, when Yeah, making was,
1: how much money? <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> I, I don't think, think the slaves made that much well, money. Well, that's what
11: I think people... have. Uh, take very begrudgingly, even when Draymond sort of prefaced it by saying it's a slave owner mentality, that he was saying that, well, you're fine if you're going to be a thug for us, but when you're a thug for somebody else, that's not okay. I don't think that's a parallel to what's going on with the Dolan situation. I don't think that... No,
2: I think you're absolutely right, and I think another thing relating to that is that young players today, you know, basically were born in the early 1990s, late 80s, and mid-90s, and it's a different world growing up if you're African American in the 1990s and 80s than it was in the 50s and the 60s. Oh yeah, and for much sure. different world. And, and uh, you know, yes, there's a lot of prejudice still out there, but the opportunities that are there for people yeah. who, you know, were good enough and, and talented enough are much greater today in the NBA than they ever were back in those years. You know, in the, back in the 50s and 60s, you couldn't have, it was never written, but you couldn't have more than two players on a team who were African American probably up until about 1960.
11: Well, wow. imagine that, you know. Well, and now you, you look at the NBA's makeup <laughs> and there's at least three or four players on every team that aren't even from the United States. That's right. right? So that's, the, you know, I think back on on, on the 80s and, and early 90s, how rare it was to yeah. have yeah. a foreign player. Maybe you draw Pet- Yeah, yeah Drazen Petrovic. you know. And stood, Marshall. Yeah they, yeah, they stood out. They stood out. They were like one or two guys on a team. Yeah. And now you have a majority of the team that are not from. The United States, yeah, well, not the
1: majority,
2: awesome. but it's a sizable number. It is.
1: It's, well, but it's also trying to find white people is hard. I well, mean, you know, I mean, a white, an American. Yeah, you know? that's true. It, it's you don't see them
2: that often. I think a lot of that is is uh, social. Yeah, but it's, you know what it's, I You at? have to remember that the kids that come up today, the game it's played today. And it's, it's changing, but it's basically a part of a culture of the inner yeah, city. True. And it still is a, a big part of American culture, but even more so in the inner city because it's a point of pride.
1: Well, also, um, it's not that expensive because all you have right. to do is just buy a basketball yeah. and there's lots of courts all over the place. Yeah. Trying to do baseball, you know, you need a bat, a glove, and you need a field and you need a, enough players. Uh, and
2: again, not to get off on a tangent here, but that's one of the sad things about baseball. African Americans made up 20% of Major League Baseball up until about 1980. Now they make up about 8% and it's because of all these, you know, we had a uh, Dr. Kerner on earlier talking about travel teams. You know, kids from the inner city can't afford to be on
1: these travel teams. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, but you know, with the basketball thing and, and just going, you know, hey, there's there's not enough white people playing. You know what? Who cares? Okay. I, I'm not a racist. Yeah. Just put the best players on
2: the yeah. team. Well, right? <laughs>
11: yeah. yeah, I don't. Right, I mean, when Curry is hitting a 75 uh, foot shot, I don't care what race he is. No,
2: exactly. No, no you have yeah. to be.
1: You have to be really dim. I with, just don't care for the rap music which well, usually I you follows you know, the culture. Here's know.
2: one thing. I think the Warriors are setting a standard. The Warriors remind me of the old Boston Celtics who used to pass the ball around so well, yeah. but they play suffocating defense, and it, it triggers sometimes a fast break that is absolutely uh, – be- it's just a beautiful thing to watch. It yeah. really is. You guys know that. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't you guys- believe
1: how many steals they had in the third – was it the th- third quarter?
2: The, th- against Sacramento yeah. the other night, yeah. yeah. But
11: uh, I, would say, I will warn you guys this, is that there will probably be a large influx – of Philippine players coming in, thanks to uh, Curry's popularity in the, the the island of the Philippines. Well, they no, better be. tall. T-
2: be, I mean, you don't have to be I mean, that, that tall. tall. You got but, but you got to be, be a. But you got to be thick. And I
1: don't know. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be thick, but no. Curry well, we'll
2: Curry's opened up things
1: yeah. to a lot of okay. folks. He's well, shown, too, maybe from a fan standpoint, you know, players are still going to have to be good. I mean, you know, you had Yao is. Ming and you had uh, Jeremy Lin. Right. There aren't too many, you know, from the Orient. Yeah. yeah, no,
11: it's true, but that's that we're seeing um, a lot of other. we we've sort of seen the opening of just like, well, it's not that you have to be black or you have to be white to play in the NBA. No, no. They're just saying, get out there, where are your skills, and yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter where you're from now. There, you don't have to be from Russia. You don't have to be from from the, the ex Soviet Union. Whereas I think that was a real focus before. I mean, uh, a few years ago, I, or it was about ten years ago, I was saying to my wife, you know, the 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 best player in the NBA is not only white, but he's from Germany. You know, and uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, right, yeah. you know, and, yeah, and, then, yeah, and yeah. then the next big, best big guy was Yao Ming. Yeah, from from China. Yeah, and she's saying, what which, happened-
1: which, which by the way, China. Basically, but you know, you know, Yao, Yao Ming. I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Chinese government put the tallest man and the tallest woman from China together to have a baby, and it was Yao Ming. Seriously. Wow. Well, his well, we mom and dad were they, they specifically? Did not know that. We bred, don't want to get into Jimmy the Greek
11: territory here. But, <laughs> no, no, yeah, but that's
1: what that's what they did. I'm just saying that's just the fact. Yes, it's, but uh, you, I hope it's remember. a true Never. fact. Never. You got, I read I, it on the internet, wow. so it's got to be true. You, you remember, you remember <laughs> the, the, the the Jimmy
11: the Greek story and and yeah, how yeah. that got him canned, So I don't want to get. No, you I'm just I,
1: I'm just saying that's I'm not, well, I'm not saying can't can
2: Edward. This is his show.
11: Yeah,
1: no, like I said, I read it on the internet. This is what I was told. I don't blame me. Wouldn't surprise me. I just I
11: sort of resent how. How, how sometimes, when things aren't going right for some players, they'll go to that slave card. Oh, the race thing. Yeah. Okay, don't use stay it. With, you don't stay don't with us.
1: Okay. Uh, third and last trivia question What sport do we have to thank for the phrase red herring? All right. That's kind of a different question for today. Don't touch that dial. Sports Econ 101. We'll be right back with some closing comments.
0: Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063. Welcome back to
1: Sports Econ 101. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Last trivia question. What sport do we have to thank for the phrase red herring? I'm going to guess
2: hockey. I'm going to guess fishing.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I... Um, uh, the, lawn bowling? No, no, no. But it's d- fox hunting.
2: Oh, I, never, I don't consider
11: that a sport. No. Uh,
1: well, I know. I, I, I knew. Know. I knew someone wouldn't consider. No, it No, I don't sport. either. In don't 17th either. century England, anti-hunt advocates would go. draw smelly, dried, smoked herring across a fox's path. To throw the pursuing hounds off. The I sand. love good it for
11: them. Good for them. Good for them. And exactly. that, no, I did not know that's where. It was. Oh, yeah, that's, you that's, liberal anti-fox that's, that's, hunting that's, that's, people. I'm, that's hardly
2: <laughs> a sport. Poor fox against what? How many 20, 30 dogs and, and fifteen? People and they don't
11: even how many eat guns. it. Then they don't
2: even eat it. Yeah. They don't eat the fox? No, no of
1: course not. Do they at not. least they, skin it for its <laughs> for its fur? Yeah, they. they all probably do right, then that. that's <laughs> uh, that counts. Pin <laughs> its tail up on the wall, you know. Jeez, that's not very nice. No, it isn't. All right, so uh, Russell Jackman, thank you very much. We oh, didn't talk great. too much wrestling today, but it was nice to have you on. As we No, had I really you on liked it. Uh, I really love being on the show. Excellent. We'll have to have you on yet again. Oh, great. You did a very nice job. Very nice job. Real, All right, call me, and,
11: and as I said, uh, I'll be here till you tell me to get the heck out. As okay. The, as a late works. great Ed,
2: Ed Sullivan used to say, we had a really fine show. Really fine Shoe. show. Shoe. 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 Yeah. Okay,
1: so here's our thoughts for the day. Oh, no, he didn't have an accent like that. No. Your best teacher is your last mistake. Ooh. I thought that was pretty good. And the moment you want to quit is the moment you need to keep pushing. Oh, boy. Tell I told that to that. my wife giving childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure she appreciated the heck out of that. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still feeling the pain from that one. Oh, now. yeah. All right. I want to thank my co-host, Bruce McGowan, yet again for another excellent show. Excellent. And uh, let's see, what we're going to do here is uh, next week, we don't know who we're going to have on yet. It's no. going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. So we'll keep you all but you and I will be around. So we sure will.
2: Good all right. I, I, I say, and you have my number. That's yes. right. And we want to say thank you to all the armed services folks overseas yes. who are listening to this broadcast. Do we it. salute
1: you. Yes. Tune in next week to Sports Econ 101. We're going to be discussing sports topics from a business perspective and giving away more uh, well we're we're going to ask some sports trivia questions all right We
2: used to give away stuff We, away. we used
1: to give stuff away. We'll, we'll maybe we'll do that and again. We made
2: it too easy though,
1: I know. Yeah. Thanks for listening on behalf of our team I'm your host Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Good night America. So long.